Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So before we get into today's episode, I just want to mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're going to find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our expat money forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora Mikkel or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Expat Money Show. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and today's guest is actually a returning guest. I'm having Stefan Spencer back on the line today because last week I had Stefan on, a world-class search engine optimization expert. He literally wrote the book on SEO, The Art of SEO, and spoken on more than 100 stages about the topic. I had him on the Expat Money Show, and we did not even talk about SEO at all. We ended up getting into such an interesting conversation about personal development, continual education, continual learning, that I didn't even ask him one SEO question. So Stefan was nice enough to agree to come back onto the show so that he could share some of his expertise with you guys today. So Stefan, how are you doing? Welcome back to the show. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Such a pleasure. So Stefan, straight off the bat, I'm really curious, how did you get into SEO? What attracted you to it in the first place? Well... I love tinkering. I love figuring stuff out. And like when I was a kid, I got my first car for $50, believe it or not. And I was able to change the alternator just by going to a junkyard, finding a similar car, you know, same make and model and year and scrounging that alternator out of the junkyard car there and putting it in my car. So I love reverse engineering stuff, including the Google algorithm. And early on in the days of SEO in the 90s, before Google was even out there, I was optimizing for search engines like InfoSeq and and WebCrawler and so forth. So I've been doing this for a very long time. And I got inspired by meeting one of the original founders of Netscape in 1994, a guy named Rob McCool. So I, I was hooked. I was actually studying for a PhD in biochemistry and I 
dropped out within a few months after meeting Rob McCool, who was the creator of Apache, which is the web server software that's running most of the websites on the internet. Before that, he was the creator of Netscape Server, and before that, the NCSA HTTPD server. So met him briefly at a conference called the Second International Worldwide Web Conference, and I, I was hooked. So I've been doing SEO for a very long time, and I love the ability to treat it like a science. Even though I have a book called The Art of SEO, I know the irony in that. It's really a science where you have a hypothesis, and you test that hypothesis and you see if it works or not. You have to keep the variables to a minimum, only change one thing at a time and see if that thing that you changed made a positive or a negative difference or no difference. And then, you know, rinse and repeat, keep iterating, keep improving, keep testing, just like you test for conversion to improve your conversion rate, you test SEO. But it's a little different because you can't test a lot of things at once like you can with conversion. You can do multivariate testing. You really need to test things in serial with SEO. So you learned a lot of it through experimentation, through the science of actually having this hypothesis, trying something and then seeing the result. And then I assume keeping notes or keeping detailed logs of how it all worked. Yeah, just having a creative curiosity about SEO and about how Google works. I remember presenting at SMX Advance at their very first conference in, I think it was 2007. And I had pitched this idea to Danny Sullivan of a give it up panel, one where we bring our best secrets. And so because it was my idea, I really had to bring it. The pressure was on. And so I remember asking people after each of my tips if they knew the tip beforehand and get them to raise their hands. And the audience included all the big name SEOs and everything, and nobody raised their hands, pretty much nobody for each of the tips. And uh, for example, one of them, I reverse engineered how to figure out what the indented listing, remember those days when Google indented listings and grouped them, grouped sites together? Um, no. <laughs> but it used to be back in the day that search results from the same site would be grouped together and then the other listing, the one underneath, would be indented. So that was seen as, let's say, position one and two, but in reality, it was position one and something between two and ten, and nobody would think about this, but I did. And so I would think, well, how do I figure out what the true position is if it's maybe position one and position 10 grouped to be one and two? Maybe I can look at nine results per page by kind of hacking how Google displays its results. So I added ampersand num equals nine to the end of the Google search results URL. And, and this still works. You can look at nine results per page or eight or seven. And I would keep doing that until that indented listing went away. And I'm like, ah, okay. So it just went away and I, uh, it was num equals eight or whatever. So that means it was at position nine. So if I go to page two and I look at, well, what's on page two? What's at number 11 and 12 and so forth? Maybe I can send some link equity at those innocuous, non-threatening search listings and move those up to page one and knock my competitor who's got a position one and two to only have position one and their position two goes off onto page two. The competitor has no idea what the heck happened. <laughs> and so I presented this idea and how to do it. 
at the conference, and wow, I got a, a lot of kudos for that. In fact, a few weeks later, I was at the SES Toronto conference, and at that time, I had I knew of Rand Fishkin, but I'd never spoken to him before. You know, he's the founder of Moz, well, formerly, and the name was SEO Moz at the time. He comes up in the speaker lounge, and, and he sees me and gives me a hug, <laughs> <laughs> and he talks. He starts talking to me like, "Dude, you brought it at the, at the SMX Advance. That was amazing." And we just had this great conversation. And right in that conversation, we decided to do a book together. So that was the genesis of the SEO Cookbook, which then became the Art of SEO. And yeah, within a day or two, we had a, a book publisher. We had O'Reilly because we contacted Danny Sullivan, who runs the SMX conferences and who happened to be at O'Reilly's headquarters for food camp at that very moment. There are no coincidences, right? So he says, well, I'll ask some folks here and see if they want to do a book with you guys. And sure enough, they did. And the rest is history, as they say. (laughs) Can I ask you, why is there a picture of a bird on your book, The Art of SEO? You know, that's funny. I think SEO is a very fast-moving and dynamic space. And so the, the bird that was chosen is actually a hummingbird. And now that's the name of an algorithm of Google's. But at the time, there there wasn't a hummingbird algorithm. I think they kind of stole the idea of, of uh, <laughs> the hummingbird name from us because, uh, of course, they, they knew of our book. But, yeah, I, I, I love hummingbirds. They're beautiful and, and really cool. Yeah, because I think that it, it must be interesting to try to take SEO and put it in a visual sense because it's such a conceptual thing to be able to take a picture of SEO. Like, how would you do that? So I think a a hummingbird is as good of a a picture as any. Well, all the O'Reilly books pretty much have an animal on the cover. So this is a a thing they've been doing since uh, the 90s. So, you know, if it's going to be an animal, yeah, why not a hummingbird? (laughs) So I want to know... Now I'm a complete I'm I'm a complete beginner when it comes to SEO. What are some things that I should know or some of my listeners should know if they're just starting to get into this? What should they know and understand about SEO? Yeah. Well, let's start with a few frameworks. One is that there are three pillars to SEO. There's content, architecture, and links. So content includes keyword research, figuring out which keywords you should incorporate into your content and in what ways. Architecture includes all the technical stuff. It's not just the internal linking structure, your navigation, but also and the taxonomy that you choose. But it's also the URL structure. It's also the uh, redirects that you might need to employ, robust.txt, XML sitemaps, canonical tags, schema.org markup. There's a lot of geeky stuff encompassed in the architecture slash technical pillar. And then finally, links. This is the hardest to kind of wrap your head around and to work through because from the t- a technical standpoint, there's a lot of geeky stuff in, in the other pillars. You have, with the linking side, no real control. You're, you're relying on other webmasters to link to you. And if they don't, there's really nothing you can do about it. You can't bang on their door and say, hey, you, didn't, you, you were going to link to me and you didn't. I, I, was, I was on your podcast and, and you didn't put a link to my website and you said you were going to or whatever. You, you, can't, you can't do that. You just, it's like PR. It's public relations. Yeah. So you can 
woo and schmooze the journalists, but you can't force them to uh, write about you in the New York Times. That makes sense. But that would be nice if I could. I would love to get written about in the New York Times. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So if someone has an online business and they want to get started with SEO, what recommendations would you make to them? So now that you know this framework, you could start to make progress against each of these three pillars. And I, and I do have to say that if any one of these pillars is weak, it's like sitting on a, a two-legged stool. You're going to fall over. It's not going to work. So you need to have strong link equity. You need to have your, your keyword research done and the, and the content really solid and all the technical stuff done. And that includes having the right platform chosen, having the right plugins. If you're running WordPress, for example, like the Yoast SEO plugin is an excellent choice. By the way, I've had Yoast, it's his name as well, Yoast DeVolk on my show, Marketing Speak, talking about how to optimize SEO for a WordPress-based website, which is a, a great episode. So get the technical stuff in order. Hire somebody if you need to. If you're, you're not really that technical, no problem. You just need to get it done. And from a content standpoint, start thinking about what my editorial calendar is going to be like over the course of the next three months, six months, even 12 months, and, and tie that into the keyword research that you're doing. Because if you're, if you're writing about things that nobody is searching for in Google, then you, you got a disconnect there. Right, So uh, I was uh, working with Kohl's department stores, for example, it was one of my clients, and they were just fixated on this keyword kitchen electrics, and they wanted a top ranking for that keyword. I'm like, this is a total waste of your time because nobody's searching for that. This is an industry term, and, and even though that's the accepted term in the industry for small kitchen appliances like food processors and blenders and so forth, I mean, have you heard of the term kitchen electrics before? Maybe, but it certainly would not be what I would type into Google. Exactly. So if you're ranking number one for a keyword that nobody's searching for, it's kind of a pointless exercise. It's like uh, if a tree falls in a forest and no one hears it, right? So you got to get the keywords right, and then you can formulate your editorial calendar, what you're going to write about. You can also decide what your navigation taxonomy is going to be based on. And there are very simple tools that will allow you to do this. You don't even have to put a budget towards SEO tools to start doing keyword research. Just start typing into Google, for example, things like, I don't know, let's say expat. You start typing in the word expat into Google, and before you even hit the search button, you're stuck at getting suggestions back. These are keywords that are popular and potentially that are local. So you have to kind of discount those. Like if you type in pizza and you're in New York City, it's going to be pizza in NYC and pizza Manhattan and things like that. So you discount those that are local, but then there's some great ideas in in those suggestions. And in fact, you can use a tool that takes it to another level that is also based on Google Suggest, Google Autocomplete Suggestions. It's called Google Suggest within within Google. It's called Uber Suggest. Ubersuggest.io, another free tool you put in your keyword like expat. And what it does is it uses Google Suggest as the data source for keyword suggestions, but it iterates through the alphabet. So expat and then the letter A. 
and gives you 10 suggestions that start with the letter A for the second word, and then B, and then C, and then D, and all the way through Z and zero through nine, and gives you hundreds of keywords back that you can dis- decide to, to either use or not use, but they're ideas. They're, they're, it's, this is the brainstorming stage. It's not just for your, like I said, your, your editorial calendar for your blog or your learning center or, or resources section. It's also for your navigation hierarchy. So when my oldest daughter started doing SEO when she was 14, just she had a passion for this game site for kids called Neopets. It was a virtual pet site. So you care for your virtual pet and you feed it virtual food and you buy it virtual toys and you earn all these Neo points by playing games and then spend those Neo points on things like virtual toys and stuff for your virtual pets. She was an expert at that game or that that whole online world. So I suggested to her that she create a blog about all those tips and tricks for how to get more Neo points and more lives in the games and all that sort of stuff. And she really loved that idea. And she loved the idea of making passive income as well through AdSense, because she knew that I owned a few websites that were making many thousands of dollars a month passive income. They were on autopilot. I had a bed and breakfast directory called Insight. I had a writer's community for authors called writers.net. And they were making thousands and thousands of dollars every month passive income. She wanted to do the same thing. And where she started to figure out what she's going to write about and how the whole website was going to be structured, what categories to have and everything was just turning to the Google search box, start typing in the word Neopets. And then she saw things like Neopets dailies, Neopets avatars, Neopets cheats, Neopets game cheats, etc. She decided to name her blog based on what she saw on the Google suggest suggestions list, the ultimate Neopets cheat site. Because Neopets Cheats was like number three in popularity, Neopets by itself just as number one. She started going after the less popular keywords, the less competitive keywords like Neopet Cheats, the singular. And then she got rankings for that. And then she was able to get some PR about like he, this little kid is <laughs> doing <laughs> passive income and everything. And then she started getting invited to conferences and, and she started getting covered in newspapers and stuff. And she started ranking for Neopets cheats. And the momentum kept going because she was getting links from media outlets, from, from the news, from, from conferences and so forth. So as a 16-year-old, she spoke at BlogHer, and and she's spoken now at uh, dozens of conferences. She's 26 now. She has her own SEO business. She has the state of South Carolina as a client. She has been on live TV multiple times. Her latest TV appearance was on MSNBC, a national show, a national network, um, uh, talking about SEO. So, yeah, she's uh, definitely following in my footsteps. And it all started just by um, going onto Google and start typing Neopets and see what the suggestions were before even getting to the search results. So just start there and, and use Uber Suggest as well. And oh, another tool that's also free based on Google Suggest is called Answer the Public. So you just go to answerthepublic.com, you put in your keyword, whether it's expat or it's Neopets or whatever, and it will give you question-based search queries back because people are asking Google so many questions like, what is Neopets and how do I get extra lives in the Neopets games and, and so many questions about whatever, right? 
how do I become an expat and what are the problems with being an expat and, and what are the tax implications of being an expat and so forth and so on. I don't even know what all those questions might be, but Google does. Go to answerthepublic.com and you type in your keyword and you'll get dozens and dozens and dozens of these questions. And then you can start creating FAQ pages about them, frequently asked question pages. You can start creating video content around that and getting those videos transcribed. And so there's textual content. There's just so many opportunities. It just starts with figuring out what you should be writing about. Well, that's a really interesting point right there as well, because I've been an expat for now 20 years, and it's a word that I use, like, it's part of my lexicon. It's a word that I use every single day, and all of my friends and family, well, not all, but pretty much all my f- friends and family are expats as well. So it's a word that we use nonstop. But when I go to seminars, say, in the United States or overseas, and I tell people what I do, they're like, what's an expat? I'm like, oh, Like I have to take like five steps back. So when I write my blog articles or publish things or my emails and things like that, I have to be really careful about the language that I use. So it's difficult because I want to rank for something, but at the same time I need to teach, I need to explain because I make these assumptions that everybody's going to know the things that I know or, you know, even simple phrases. Well, you know, expat is actually a pretty popular keyword on its own. 30,000 to 70,000 searches per month estimated. That's within 95% accuracy, and that's according to Moz Keyword Explorer. So I would say that's a pretty good keyword to be targeting. It's just it's not part of the common lexicon in the U.S. It's more for people who are overseas who have become expats. Exactly. Where I want to be doing some, and I don't even know if I should say this, is a little bit top secret, But I am looking at building out a course on teaching people how to move overseas, how to relocate their lives, relocate their jobs and their investments and everything and move overseas. So I have to be really careful because the type of people that I will be targeting for this course will not be expats themselves. So I have to use language they would actually search for. Yeah, that's a great point. You got to get inside of the heads of your target market and understand what their problems are and not just focus on the solution that you have. Right? So if, they're, if somebody is looking to move overseas, the problems that they have are things like international movers or, gosh, I, <laughs> there's so many different. Yeah, I've been working on this for a while, so. Yeah, yeah. So these are problems that they're trying to solve. They're not thinking, well, I need a course on how to become an expat or how to move overseas. Yeah. A great example from the business to business world. This is from an ex-IBMer. He told me about this. He said that IBM would make this web server hardware that runs really fast and is very cool, like doesn't heat up. And it's these are blade servers. And what people would search for if they had problems with their web servers kicking off too much heat in the data center is they'd be searching for overheating data center. They wouldn't be searching for cool running web servers or, or, or you know, hardware or anything like that. They, they would be searching for the problem. And they might also be thinking of a solution that's an obvious one, like another, get another AC unit for your data center, but that's very, very expensive. So if somebody's searching for overheating data center, they want their IBM page about their IBM Blade servers to rank very highly for that and to walk through what the different options are, different solutions, including replace all your web servers, which would be a lot cheaper than replacing the AC unit or buying an additional AC unit. So think about like what 
are the pain points that your target market is experiencing, really understand their demographics, their psychographics, and their sociographics, and even do like a four forces exercise where you map out their fears, frustrations, wants, and aspirations. Marketer Taki Moore taught me how to do this, where you have, you just take a blank sheet of paper and you draw a line, a vertical line and a horizontal line in the middle. So now it's four quadrants. And at the top of the page in the middle, you'd put immediate up the top, you'd put future in the bottom, you'd put away from in the middle left-hand edge, and then on the right-hand edge in the middle, you'd put moving towards. So moving away from on the left, moving toward on the right. So basically, the target audience's wants are in the top right. You're thinking, like, what is the motivator for somebody who I'm trying to target? If I'm trying to understand what their wants are, those are immediate and they're moving towards them. Their aspirations are in the future or are imagined. So they're not present here and now. And they are moving towards those. They're moving away from their frustrations and their fears, but their frustrations are immediate and their fears are imagined or in the future. So imagine having this four quadrant, this page filled up with fears, frustrations, wants and aspirations. And now you understand what's driving them, what's driving your avatar, your, the, the persona that you're trying to, to target. And, and identify that persona by giving that person a name and you know, what, how many uh, kids do, do they have and how long have they been married and what's their workday look like and uh, what are their hobbies and all that sort of stuff. Really get inside their heads. So you map out these uh, the, the four forces. And now you can start incorporating those four forces into the copy that you write and into the keywords that you target. Like in the case of business owner who has a, a bunch of web servers and an overheating data center, that's a, a frustration. That's immediate. And they're moving away from that. That's a problem they're trying to solve, that, that overheating data center. So that would be a very powerful exercise for you to do, Mikkel, and understand what's going on with these people who are trying to move overseas or who want to move overseas, but they have lots of fears, they have lots of frustrations about it, and wants and, and aspirations. Yeah, it does sound very powerful, and it is an exercise that I'm going to have to try to... I, my mind is literally racing right now, like, okay, I'm trying to visualize it and how this should be done. Who was the gentleman who originally came up with this concept? Well, I don't know if he was originator of it, but I learned it from Taki Moore. I've had him on my podcast as well, by the way, on Marketing Speak. And yeah, I was in his year-long mastermind called Black Belt. I learned lots of really cool stuff from him. That's a good name for a mastermind. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, you actually got belts. Like I got a white belt when I joined. And then you know, as you up-level and you accomplish your goals, you get different belts, like you get a yellow belt and you know, all the way up to a, a black belt. If you stay in the program long enough and you keep crushing it, <laughs> pretty cool. That's awesome. I'm playing with thinking about starting a mastermind group of my own. I totally would have stole that name, but I think I'm, I'm now recorded saying this, so I'll have to figure something <laughs> out. <laughs> Okay, we're just going to take a quick break. 
So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2,000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on Plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world. There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that I'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than I ever expected. And and a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are. You are an awesome person. I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to get involved, if you want to join the conversation, then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on Facebook directly, you can search for Expat Money Forum. You'll find us there. We should come up on the very first page. And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. So I want to ask some random questions. These are a couple of terms that I hear people talk about when they speak about SEO, and I don't understand it, and they sound really scary. So I'm hoping you can shed a little bit of light on them. So what is black hat and what is white hat techniques? (laughs) Okay, it's really all about risk. There isn't like some moral code that you should be following, uh, because Google is a public company. They're not like the government. You're not breaking the law. Unless you are, of course, there are black hats who break the law and and do stuff that's illegal. But a typical black hat is just trying to game Google's algorithms and and not get penalized by Google. They're They're not running risk of getting thrown in jail. I am pearly white hat. I'm not at all willing to take risks on behalf of my clients or myself. Because what happens if you get penalized is you're in a, a world of hurt. And unless Google decides to let you out of the penalty box because you've uh, done your mea culpa and you've, you've cleaned things up as best you can, it's, it's a real mess. If a black hat is doing lots of sketchy stuff that Google doesn't like, is against the Google guidelines, they have lots and lots and lots of websites or domains that they can churn and burn, and it doesn't matter. But us as business owners, we probably only have one website for that business, or maybe just a few, and we don't want to start over from scratch if we get burned. So that's that's the difference between white hat and black hat is the risk. So I guess that would lead into you need to be quite careful if you hire someone to do SEO for you. Oh, for sure, for sure. Because if you hire somebody who's willing to cut corners or who doesn't really understand the Google guidelines or what is current thinking about best practice for SEO. They're doing stuff that worked 10 years ago. They're, they're, they're building links in a way that's not really squeaky clean. You know, things that sound good from like 10 years ago, like, oh, we'll do directory submissions and we'll do some, you know, 
guest posts and stuff. Guest posts can be okay, but you got to think of it in terms of how can I be a contributor or a columnist on, on a respected website, not how can I get my links on these people's websites by giving them free content and I don't care you know, if they have high authority or high trust or whatever. I don't care if they take guest submissions from anybody and his brother. I don't care if they charge money for that because all those things leave clues that Google can pick up on. If they're willing to take money for uh, guest posts, then they probably are willing to you know, kind of be loose with their editorial standards. And the quality is going to show up as being less than stellar, and Google's going to be able to pick up on that with automated algorithms. And now you're caught up in that. And anytime you have links from kind of sketchy sources or from places where they're selling links, which is against Google's guidelines, now you're actually hurting your Google reputation instead of helping it. So you see a lot of people who advertise their services in SEO on places like Upwork or other similar sites. Um, A lot of them are based out of India or in some of the other developing nations where the prices to hire the people are very low. What should I be careful of if that was something I wanted to do or do you not recommend it at all or, or what are your thoughts on the topic? Yeah, I would be very, very careful. I would advise, unless you are an expert on SEO, not to even try this because you get what you pay for. And in SEO, you actually get a lot worse (laughs) than what you pay for. You get unintended side effects by being cheap with your SEO hires. So what happens is that you don't really know SEO and you try and hire somebody who thinks they know SEO and you don't know any better because you don't know the right questions to ask. Sounds good. Sounds like they know what they're doing. Okay. And then they do stuff that gets you in trouble with Google. And it takes you years to dig out from the mess. And you lose so much money and so much time because all your traffic went away. And who knows how long that would take, if ever, that you could dig out of that. So it's, it's, it's high risk. I think a good a next step for somebody who's looking to hire an SEO is to download my SEO hiring blueprint from my website, stephanspencer.com, as well as my SEO BS detector. And that BS detector has some trick questions in it. It's just a PDF document with a bunch of questions that you can slip into your interview process, whether you're hiring an in-house person, like an employee to do SEO, or you're hiring an agency or some contractor overseas, doesn't matter, this works. Let's say you ask questions like, tell me what the process is for optimizing meta keywords. Sounds like a very innocent question, right? But it's actually a trick question because the only right answer is, what, meta keywords? Are you serious? Those things never counted in Google. They were never a positive ranking signal. Never, ever, ever, not since day one. Not since the 90s when Google started. So that if someone answers that and gives you some long explanation, you know that they're just full of shit. Exactly. <laughs> Very smart. I like it. Thus the BS detector, right? <laughs> so we're, we're sniffing this out. <laughs> the, the only, this only works if you know there's only one right answer and what that right answer is. And that's what my document walks you through. Like That's an example question in there. And, and then why that's the only right answer is that never counted. Google went on record to say this years and years ago. that Yeah, actually, we never counted the meta keywords tag. Because it was so spammed to death, we saw that on 
InfoSeq and everything that, yeah, it just doesn't make sense for us to use it as a signal. So if someone is like me and they don't have a big background in SEO, is the SEO something that I could do on my own or do I need to hire someone to do it for me? You could do it on your own, but you would need to really study up on it. And, and the art of SEO is a thousand pages, well, 994 pages. So it's not light reading and it gets pretty technical. I recommend that folks start with a chapter that's not super technical on the book. Chapter seven is a great starting point because it's all about content marketing and link building. And, you know, it's like basically public relations. How do I create content that is remarkable, that is worth remarking about? What is considered link worthy? How do I get links once I've created that link worthy content because nobody knows to go to my website to see if anything has showed up there. So how do I get high quality links, links that are authoritative and trusted? That's all in chapter seven. Uh, Incidentally, I do have that chapter as a free download. If listeners wanted to download that, they go to marketingspeak.com slash expat. That's going to include a bunch of free downloads there. I'll include Chapter 7 from The Art of SEO. I'll include the SEO BS Detector and the SEO Hiring Blueprint. So those will be there for you all in one bundle. Perfect. And I'll make sure that I link to that at expatmoneyshow.com. So any of my listeners, they can go, they follow that link and download those resources. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can certainly learn it. It's a little bit daunting, but it's doable. And if you're not into reading and you prefer to take online courses, I do have six online courses at stephanspencer.com. That's a little bit more of an investment, but it's not going to break the bank. And you can learn all the ninja stuff from me directly. Things like how to get high authority, high trust links, how to leverage social media for link building, because the links that you get from social media posts doesn't actually count in Google. Many people have misinformation about that. They think that Google counts social signals, and they don't. Those links are not uh, followed. They don't pass any link equity. And this is across the board. All social platforms have no followed their links because spammers are just um, uh, – they, they target these social sites. So Wikipedia is a social site, and they know follow their links. YouTube is a social site. They know follow all the external links. Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, LinkedIn, they all know follow external links. Yeah, so online courses, that's a, a good way to go. If you prefer like in-person learning, going, in to, uh, going to a seminar or conference, there's some great conferences that cover SEO, like PubCon I speak at every year. The, the big PubCon show is in Las Vegas, and they have a couple of smaller shows during the year as well. There's SMX conference series, which includes SMX Advanced and SMX West and so forth. And in the UK, there's a conference twice a year called Brighton SEO. I just spoke at that recently. So a great, great conference. Yeah, there are a lot of options for seminars and conferences. And I'm actually working on creating my own seminar, three days intensive on SEO called Traffic Control. I haven't launched that yet, but probably uh, in the next nine months or so, you'll see that. And that'll be at trafficcontrol.co. 
So yeah, a few options. And will that be walking people right from the beginning steps all the way to being able to do this themselves? Or do you have to have some a certain type of knowledge before you went to something to your conference? There won't be any prerequisites. Hopefully you will be reasonably okay with computers. It won't be a challenge for you to figure out how to turn them on or anything, <laughs> how to install a, a new web browser or anything like that. If that's challenging, then yeah, you probably want to just hire somebody to do your SEO for you. But if if you feel comfortable with computers, yeah, it should be it should be doable for you to, to learn it and apply it. Excellent. So another question that has always come up in my mind, and, and this is a personal question, and I'm hoping that the listeners will get something out of this as well. What are some tips for ranking your personal name? So if I wanted to rank Mikkel Thorpe higher on Google or any search engine places, what are some tips, what are some things that I could do? Okay, so are you asking if you can occupy more of the shelf space in the Google search results for your name, if somebody searches for your name? Are you, are you asking if I wanna, there's a way I wanna to I want to fucking get... own page one of Google. When you type in Mikkel Thorpe, I want to be the only Mikkel Thorpe out there. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So I would recommend registering a bunch of you know accounts with uh, various uh, social networks, not just the obvious big ones like LinkedIn and Twitter and that, but also, do you have a Pinterest account, for example? Yes. Okay. Build out that Pinterest account so it can rank. They're probably third tier, fourth tier social networks that you haven't even heard of that are worth signing up for. There's a great free tool called Namecheck, namechk.com, that allows you to put in your name or your brand as a username, and it will search for that username's availability across hundreds of social networks. Bet you didn't know that there were over 100 social networks. No, absolutely Uh, not. (laughs) Okay. There's a lot of them. Like last.fm is a social network, and you can... Register an account there. There are also sites that are are databases or directories, and I'm not a big fan of directories uh, in in the SEO sense, but there are very useful resources that have a database of, of business people or of businesses, and you can register on those. There are only a few that I would recommend. Most directories out there are created for webmasters to get a link. And that's not a good kind of directory. A directory that people actually use is the kind of directory that you want to be in and and no other kind because Google understands the difference. And so specifically, I'm thinking like Crunchbase or AngelList are great examples of being in a, a, a database like Crunchbase, which is owned by TechCrunch, is a database of business people uh, who are executives and entrepreneurs and and business owners. And it tends to rank pretty highly. So you'll have another slot in in the top 10 for your name in Google, probably if you register an account, uh, register yourself inside of Crunchbase. And if you deserve to be there because you have a business, or let's say you're on the board of a nonprofit or something, and it's in the directory in Crunchbase then you can get a Crunchbase listing. So you create these profiles that will 
allow you to have more pieces on the chessboard. Think of it like you're trying to occupy as much of the chessboard as possible. And let's see. So there's also sites that you can be a contributor on. For example, if you write for Forbes or Entrepreneur or Inc. or something like that, and you have a profile, an author profile on that site, that'll probably rank. Like I used to write for the Huffington Post. They no longer take contributors, but my Huffington Post profile ranks pretty high for my name. Conferences that I've spoken at, those speaker profiles of mine are ranking as well. So if you speak at conferences, that'll, that'll work to your advantage. Yeah, there's a lot of places where you can get a profile by being a contributor. They're not just the traditional like big magazines. Like, uh, do.com, D-U-E.com, takes contributors. If you write really well and you have good stuff to say, they might take you as a contributor, and then you have a profile on do.com. You could write for, like, I write for Search Engine Land. And my author profile ranks quite highly. If you're an actual book author, you haven't bothered to create an Amazon.com author profile, that's a real missed opportunity. Go ahead and go to Author Central on Amazon and, and set that up. Because otherwise, the page that shows up, say they're looking at your book on Amazon and they click on your, your author name, and ends up going to a page that's kind of like a search results page of other books that you've written instead of it being your author profile. And it doesn't take very long to create an author profile if you go to authorcentral.amazon.com. So there are lots of opportunities. Uh, you just need to know where you should create these. And I just gave you a, a bunch of ideas, but... Heaps of ideas. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you can just search on Google as well for online reputation management and find articles and, and blog posts all about where to get these profiles and how, how to occupy as much of that shelf space as possible. Perfect. Once again, my mind is racing. <laughs> I was like, I need to be focused on this interview, and I'm, I'm already thinking about all the things that I need to be doing. I'm going to re-listen to this episode myself at least two or three times and make sure I take lots of notes. So I hope my listeners are taking lots of notes right now. And feel free to pause and then push play again if you need to. <laughs> yeah, and it might seem overwhelming because there's a lot of potential work here. You don't have to do it all yourself. And even if you're a little bit terrified to hire an SEO, you don't have to hire an SEO to make progress on your SEO. You can hire content writers. You can hire people to do keyword research. And they can't do a lot of damage if they're just creating a list of keywords with search volumes and you know, other, some other data points pulled from various tools. You can hire somebody like on Upwork or on Freelancer.com. There's also kind of a, a Craigslist sort of uh, site of job listings in the Philippines called onlinejobs.ph. It's a great resource. And of, of course, Craigslist, Craigslist is a great resource. I found, I found incredible people, surprisingly, I found incredible people who still work for me today on Craigslist. You just have to be very smart about how you post there. And one thing I do that's very clever and has made a huge difference. So I incorporate a riddle into the, my job advert. I post to multiple cities. I post in different cities where it's a college town, 
and it's a pretty good sized city so that they charge for job postings. It's very important because if it's free, because smaller towns like Madison, Wisconsin, it's a college town, but if everybody can post for free to Craigslist their jobs, then there's a lot of junk and too much noise. The signal to noise ratio is terrible. So focus on cities like Boston or Chicago or, or New York City and so forth where it's a college town for sure, but it's a huge city. And so they charge $25 or whatever to post to Craigslist and then work in some sort of problem solving thing. Like if somebody needs to be really focused on, on details, so attention to detail is critical, put a few Easter eggs into the job advert, like intentionally make some errors and have them find those errors in the job advert and include those in the in their inquiry. And if they don't, then they, they, then you, you, they don't even get a reply. Or in my case, a problem-solving riddle. Really, really cool. So I have a team of content writers. I have a social media team. I don't even know what I'm writing on Twitter. I have no idea because I'm not writing it. It's in my voice. It's aligned with my values, and it's good stuff. It's really good stuff, but I have no idea what I'm tweeting. My username is S. Spencer, so please feel free to follow me. It's really good stuff, I promise you, but I have no idea what I'm saying there right now, and that's my team. Do you have any ethical dilemma with that, Uh, someone else writing as you? Nope, not at all. That's how the world works. Like Any book that you pick up that was supposedly written by you know a, a big name celebrity not written by them it's just it, the, there's not enough hours in the day for somebody who's busy and successful to sit down and write books so many of them have hired ghostwriters so you know it's just as long as you're willing to put your name to it because you have checks and balances in place and you have you know, it's a, it, it, it's in your voice. It's aligned with your values, and there's enough quality checking and so forth, and enough standard operating procedures in place. Then I think it's fine. But that's my personal opinion. I just wouldn't be able to add value in the way that I'd like to, like on my blog or in my social media channels, if I, I couldn't scale in this way. So my blog on stephanspencer.com, which is very good, and when I periodically check it to see, well, what have I been posting <laughs> to my blog, I'm like, yeah, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. <laughs> it, 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 it came from me, but not, not in a direct way. So my team calls through webinar recordings of me and, and uh, presentations of me at conferences and you know, coaching calls. Or maybe this podcast episode. Exactly, my podcast. And they pull content from that. And it's not just completely made up from scratch. So I, I just noticed that there was a, a great post about masterminds. So you're talking about uh, you want to create a mastermind. And, and we actually had a conversation about masterminds last week about how there's some really great ones out there, and actually we talked about it. You know, it's like this is a potentially a game changer for people. Like my life is different because of Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership. That's a mastermind, and because of the Society Neil Strauss's mastermind. I had a post, unbeknownst to me, but I had a post called Six Masterminds That You Must Be In" or something along those lines, 
And these were really great masterminds, either ones that I'd been in or that I had I knew of and and knew people loved and people who I trust tell me that these are great masterminds. One of them is called the Brotherhood. I know multiple people who are in the Brotherhood and they love it and it's life changing and so forth. It was in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I love it. And and stuff ends up getting linked to and written about that I don't even know is happening. So one of my posts, which was about my favorite biohacking podcasts, it had some really great biohacking podcasts in there that I that I listened to. And I don't remember how they got that list, but every single one I totally signed off on. Like, yep, Ben Greenfield Fitness for sure. Luke Story has a great podcast called The Lifestylist. That's awesome. I've had him on my, uh, I have a biohacking show too. I have two podcasts, Marketing Speak one, and then also The Optimized Geek. And that's where all my personal development stuff and, and biohacking and life hacking productivity stuff goes on that show. And so my show was on that list as well. And Ben Greenfield, who's a big name in the fitness and biohacking world, linked to my blog post. So I got a link and I got a mention on his, uh, to his list as one of the things he, he had discovered that week. Blog post that was uh, a great list of, of fantastic biohacking shows, including his. <laughs> That's how it got on his radar. And I got a link out of it, and I, I didn't even have to think about, we should have a post about this, and I need to uh, review it and approve it. And uh, you just have to like, you have to trust. People are not going to do it exactly the way that you would do it, and that's okay. Nobody's going to be as uh, as good as you. <laughs> I mean, actually, there are people who are a lot better at you. Better, than, yeah. Than different things. <laughs> Everyone has their strengths, but yeah, no, I understand. We hold on, so for, for dear life to to micromanage things or to just do it ourselves. And that's a mistake. We cannot grow. We cannot scale with that kind of do-it-all-yourself mentality. But this is a good segue because I did want to ask you about a content strategy. So if the listeners are doing blogging or if they're doing content marketing, how much content should they be putting out specifically for SEO? Is it really the more the better or how does it work? Yeah, the more the better, but it's got to be quality. If you think of it like this, there are many pages to your website, hopefully. (laughs) If you have a five-page website, then you're in real trouble. The way that it works is is think of each page of your site as a virtual salesperson out there in Google, hawking your wares, trying to bring in customers. If you have a five-page website, you have five virtual salespeople. That's not very many. Your competitors probably have 500 pages or 5,000 pages or even 50,000 pages. And that's 50,000 virtual salespeople competing with your five. They're going to completely eat your lunch. You need to create lots and lots of content. So should you blog at least once a week? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> if it, and, and if somebody says, well, I don't really have a blog or I'm not really into blogging, I, I have a, a learning center or something like that on my site. Well, that's your blog. It's just a launching pad for your content. A blog gives you ability to write about all sorts of different things. It's not super structured in the way that, let's say, a, a learning center would be. You could call it a learning center and it's a blog. It's just running on WordPress and it has multiple categories and it's organized in reverse chronological order. That's all workable. And now you're a blogger 
and when you are blogging, bloggers link to other bloggers. Bloggers don't link to nameless, faceless corporates. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you know, the, by staff. <laughs> you know, I, if these are staff posts and there's no human behind it, and your about page doesn't have a picture of your team and that sort of stuff, then who is it that I'm linking to? It's just some sort of, you know, is it Skynet? I don't know. <laughs> Bloggers want to link to people, just like we want to have conversations with real people. We, we want to link to real people. And, and so you need to be out there as a blogger too. And that means maybe hiring bloggers to work for you because you don't have time to blog. And that's totally okay. And whether you do or don't feel comfortable having them ghost blog for you, that's fine. Whatever, whatever within your comfort zone. If you would rather them blog under their own names, then that's fine too. Just make sure that there's a contract in place where you own that content. The copyright is yours. Well, I think that's interesting too because I would guess that if you were trying to rank your own name – Going back to our previous conversation, it would probably be better that all of the blog articles on your website are listed as you as the author. Either you are writing them yourself or you are having someone ghostwrite them for you. It should come through as your name. Wouldn't that help rank you higher? Not necessarily. There are plenty of big name celebrities or marketers or, or business owners that have a personal site Let's say, let's use you as an example, michaelthorpe.com, right? Let's say that you have that as a domain. I hope you do. <laughs> I do. Okay, good. It links to expatmoneyshow.com, but yes, I have it. Okay, well, if you want more shelf space in the Google search results for your name, you should stop the redirect and build up a proper site for you personally at michaelthorpe.com. And then whether you blog only yourself on that site or you bring in contributors to also blog and it's your team. That's totally fine either way because you're building up the authority and presence for MichaelThorpe.com and that's going to take up another spot on the shelf in the first page of Google. Does it make sense? Makes sense. Once again, gears turning in head. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that my listeners are, like, we're talking about MichaelThorpe.com and ExpatMoneyShow.com, but I hope that you guys are plugging in your own names when we're talking about this, using your own names and seeing how this is applicable to you and your life, to your business. Yeah. Yeah. And let's actually bring this back to this concept of, like, if you can live anywhere, if you can go live overseas in, as an expat because of the internet and, and what it does for you, or... Like when I when I first moved to New Zealand in 1999 2000, I tried to sell my business because I thought, well, trying to do a U.S. based business from halfway around the world, that's probably not going to work, and nobody would buy my business because I was too in, in, involved in the business. I was I was synonymous with the business. I didn't build a separate business there. I had a, a name for the business, Net Concepts. But I was so inextricably linked to the business that people wouldn't buy it if I didn't come with it. And then, you know, I was just basically I was self-employed instead of being a business owner, mm -hmm. even though I had a team. So that was a big mistake and learned from that mistake. I should have had my separate brand of StephanSpencer.com back then 
and netconcepts.com as a separate asset that didn't rely on me. The the agency, you know, like even an uh, an agency that's got somebody's name to it can be separate from that person. Leo Burnett, for example, huge name. He's you know long passed away, but the, that agency is doing quite well. And Ogilvy is another example. David Ogilvy, one of the one of the greats of of advertising. I love him. Right? And, I love and, his work. My goodness. Yeah, and so many people work for Ogilvy, and yet he doesn't exist anymore. He is a person. So you want to create something that stands on its own without you, so that you can sell it. It's an asset that's sellable, and you can move on and do different things. I I made that mistake once and I didn't make it the second time. So it turned out for the best because I was able to grow net concepts from overseas and build a team both in the US and in New Zealand. And it went like gangbusters. It was fabulous. And I prepared to sell the business later on where I didn't have to go with the business. And my earnout was only six months. That was the maximum that I was willing to tolerate. I did not want to have golden handcuffs. I did not want to work for anybody. I'm unemployable. You you could not hire me. <laughs> I mean, you can you could hire my services, my my company. Yeah, but and, not as an employee. Correct. So so think about that. When you're building your own personal brand, do it separately. They're not part and parcel of the same entity. Build your personal brand at yourname.com if it's available or try and buy it from the owner. Everybody has a price. <laughs> you, you do want the .com if at all possible. And your company should not be all about you. It should be all about the company and the benefits that it provides in, ter- in, in its products and services and so forth. And you, know, you can have a profile on there and so forth, but it's not all about you. Because now you can't sell it unless you go with it. Those are some very good things to think about. Lots to reflect on in this episode. <laughs> yes. So talk to me a little bit about time frame for SEO. If you were hiring someone, if you were doing it yourself, what kind of expectations can you have for a time frame to rank higher or rank on page one, I should say? SEO takes time. Google has gone on record to say that expect it to be at least four months to a year to start seeing the results. And I would agree with that. That was Miley Oye at Google who said that on a Webmaster Central video. Totally agree with that. If you're in it for just a short-term return, you're probably in the wrong place. The great thing about SEO is it's an asset that you're building instead of just a marketing expense. Whereas when you spend money on AdWords, you're not creating an asset. You're, you're just spending money, which is hopefully generating a return. And I'm not against it. I think that makes sense. It's part of your marketing portfolio. But the problem is, it is with AdWords or any other paid marketing channel is you don't have an asset there. The moment you stop spending money is the moment you stop receiving the benefit. So no more spend on AdWords, no more traffic. Whereas let's say I spent six months on link building and I'm, I'm starting to accumulate some really great links, high quality, authoritative, trusted links. Now I get to reap the benefits of that for months and even years to come. If I stopped link building, 
took a year off from link building and I had been doing it for six months or a year, I'm still going to reap the benefits of that previous work because this is an asset that has now more trust, more authority, more importance in the eyes of Google. My website is legit. If I don't have any links, then Google doesn't think it's important because nobody else thinks it's important enough to link to. So I got to build those links, but once I have them, I have them. It's not likely somebody's going to go back and say, oh, you know what? I wrote about uh, the Expat Money Show about six months ago, and uh, that blog post, let me see if I can find that. I'm going to delete the link. No, it doesn't happen. Very important to build that asset and think of it like, like an asset, not just uh, a marketing ex- expenditure. Well, that makes perfect sense. And on the same theme of time frame, how many hours would someone need to put in a week to get a decent return on time, return on investment? Yeah, that's a tough one. It really depends on how bad the website is, how, how uh, unoptimized it is, what needs to be created in terms of content, how much keyword research was done, if any. That's a, a lot of unknowns there. It's kind of like the question of how long is a piece of string? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I do have a, a, an article that might address some of these questions. Uh, it's on Search Engine Land. It's, it's about forming a realistic SEO timeline for you know, what it's going to take to get the result that you're after. So that um, I can include that uh, URL or that URL to you to include in the show notes. That'd be amazing. I will make sure. I think my, I think today's episodes will have many, many links. So make sure you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com and under Stefan Spencer, you'll be able to see all of these links. And tell me one more time what the URL with the bonuses for the expats. It's marketingspeak.com slash expat. Perfect. Marketingspeak.com slash expat. So say that I come over to Tel Aviv and we go to a mastermind event over there and we run into each other and I take you out for a drink or I take you out for a coffee and there's lots of people around so we got to yell a little bit and I lean in and I'm like, Stefan, Stefan, what is the one secret about SEO that if I told anyone else in the whole world, you'd have to kill me? What's that one secret? (laughs) That's funny for a public podcast. (laughs) Uh, What's the one secret? Okay, this is pretty cool. You can get TV appearances, which will build not only your link equity, because you'll get links from these TV stations, but it'll also provide incredible social proof. And you don't have to hire a PR firm to get you these TV appearances. You can do it yourself for free. And you just start small. You start with small TV stations. Like if you're in the U.S. or you're willing to travel to the U.S., you could start with markets like Tucson, Albuquerque. They're very easy to get on if you have a good pitch. So you put together a one-page kind of pitch for your TV appearance. It needs to be timely, it needs to be local, and hopefully it has an emotional hook to it as well. So timely hook, a local hook, and an emotional hook, and you can get on TV. And you just cold call these TV producers, and you'll get a lot of no's. It's just like cold calling for sales. You're going to get a lot of no's. I hope you're okay with rejection, because <laughs> if you're not, it's going to be hard to be a business person. So you just 
you're instead of dialing for dollars, you're dialing for TV spots. And you'll get some yeses, even if you've never done a TV appearance before. You start with small markets, and they're desperate for talent to show up on their dime. So you just have to fly there and pay for your overnight hotel, and boom, now you got a TV appearance. And what's what's the the asset that you're looking for is the clip. Once you have the clip, it doesn't matter if nobody watched you live on TV or if it was pre-recorded that nobody watched it when it finally aired, doesn't matter. You have the clip. That clip is gold for you. You can use that in a sizzle reel. You can use that on your media page. You can put logos of the TV networks on your homepage as seen on ABC, NBC, CBS, the CW, Fox, etc. That puts you in a whole other playing field. Also, with the search engines, it puts you in a different playing field, but most importantly, with your user base, with your customer base, your, your visitors. It just puts you in a different playing field. Oh, he's the SEO who was on TV a bunch of times. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and the one with a thousand-page book. Yes, um, I definitely want to hire him. <laughs> different, different kind of person is the kind of person that gets on TV. Yeah, so that positioning, that authority that you're able to come through with. Yeah, and remember the three pillars, content, architecture, and links. Links being the hardest to crack. Like, how do I get other webmasters, especially authoritative sites, to link to me? Because one link can be worth 10,000 lower quality links. And that one link might be a TV network. Like, my my oldest daughter, who started with Neopets you know, back when she was 14, she was on MSNBC last year talking about SEO, and it was broadcast nationally. That is gold to her. You couldn't have paid enough money to get that because it's not for sale. You can hire a, a, an expensive PR firm, and you can make your best pitch and all that, but you don't need to. You could do it yourself. She didn't pay any money. She just happened to be in the right place at the right time, speaking at a conference called Blog Her last year. And MSNBC happened to be at that conference, and they reached out to her, saw her on the on the speaker roster, and invited her to do a uh, a segment. Pretty cool. Brilliant. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Stefan, for your time. I really appreciate it. I literally have an entire page of notes here, and I hope my listeners do as well. That was an amazing episode. And for you guys who haven't had the chance to check out episode number 26 last week, where me and Stefan speak in depth about mastermind events, continual education, continual learning, you have to check out that episode as well. Stefan, thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful day. Oh, thank you. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now, and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now, it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short, and it is short on purpose. 
what I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report. Uh, it has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore. And I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.